Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to the Local Church, the perfect place for imperfect people. To all my church family who's here today, to everyone online, for Annette and for Megan and Sam Escobar. Good to see you guys, miss you guys. All my church familia over at Everglades Correctional. I'm Eric, I'm one of the pastors here and today we're continuing this teaching series about life after death. Some of us today, we're afraid of death. We think that death is final, that death is fatal. I wanna let you know on the onset that there's so much life after death that the life that we can experience after death is far more infinite than anything we could ever experience or imagine here on earth. And so we want to talk about that in this teaching series. In fact, last week, 36 people surrendered their life to Jesus. Their forever is completely transformed. Come on, let's celebrate that. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing today. That God wants to give us confidence in this place. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. You can follow along on the screens or in your app. Just search the local church on your app store, John 14, 2. It says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. This is the passage that David referenced. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? This is talking about heaven. Jesus talking about the eternal destination that those of us who have followed Jesus, we get to go to. And I want you to notice it's not an accident. He says, I go to prepare. It's, it's a prepared place. Heaven is an actual place. It's not a state of mind. It's not some state of consciousness that you achieve by meditating and saying, um, it's a place. It's a prepared place. And who is it prepared for? He says, for you. Heaven is a prepared place for us that he wants us to be part of his family forever. And verse three says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Heaven is the presence of God, but it's also a place. And next week, we're going to talk about this place where Jesus says, I want you to go. Because the Bible talks a whole lot about heaven. Next week, we'll, we'll answer some questions that we have about heaven. Are there really streets of gold? And, you know, like, what does it look like? And will we all have wings? Because I don't know about you, but, like, I like to layer, okay? Some of you are wondering, why do you have a lot of layers on? Because I, I believe you got to be hot to be cool. That's just my opinion. And I don't know how angels... You know, wings, they fit with that style. So I'm not saying it's a deal breaker. Like I'm not going to heaven if, if I have to don some wings. I'm just saying I want to be prepared. Amen? Say prepared. This whole teaching series is so that we can be, be prepared for what comes after this life. The life after death. And so in preparation for this teaching series, I did some research and I, I, I found a staggering statistic that I want to share with you today to make you all aware and prepared for life after death. I found out that the mortality rate in the world, get this, it's 100%. Were you aware of that? Every single person will die 
someday. Like you knew that, right? All, all, all of us already knew that. The point I'm trying to make is that only a foolish person will go through this life and not prepare for the inevitable. Every single one of us inevitably will die one day. Are we certain about where we are going in this life after death? Are we preparing for our eternal home? Last week I shared with you my fixer-upper story. And a lot of you, you came back and you shared similar terrorizing, terrible fixer-upper stories. And it's like, I understand, a lot of us, we don't like doing that. We don't like doing the work. We don't like building the things. But perhaps for me, the most difficult thing about fixing up a home is painting. I hate painting. Anyone with me? Like just, no, you guys like painting? Oh my gosh. It, it, like I make such a mess. I get on my hair, I get on my clothes, I spill it everywhere. For some reason, I cannot do a straight line and then going around different outlets, like it drives me crazy. And so I had to paint. I told my wife, I'm never painting again. And then we move into this fixer-upper and we don't have money to pay someone else to, to paint. And so I'm stuck doing it and I'm like, I, I'm done with this. But what made painting far more challenging was not the physical act of painting. Some of you know what I'm talking about. What made painting even more challenging was waiting for my spouse to pick the paint color. What color do you like? They're all blue. That's blue, that's no, no, no. That, that's a sky blue, and that's a baby blue, and this is elephant blue. There is no elephant blue. That's gray, okay? They're blue. Pink. We had these swatches on our walls for weeks. And, and so paint, the whole process of paint, if there's painting in hell, I certainly don't want to go there. I may be the only one, but there are several reasons why none of us should go to hell. But here, here, here's, here's a point I'm trying to make. When it comes to our temporary housing, how long are we going to live in these homes on earth? Maybe 30 Maybe 40 years, but we invest so much of our time and our energy and our resources on the paint colors and the furniture and the feng shui, but we can't take that with us. We spend so much time focusing on our home while we're here. How much time do we spend focusing on our home forever? We're going to talk about this forever home next week. We're going to be prepared. So be prepared next week. Invite some friends as we talk about this eternal home called heaven. But today, I want to talk about another eternal home. Today, I want to talk about hell. No applause for that. Okay, got it. We don't like talking about hell, do we? Of course not. So I've titled today's teaching, Hell no. Turn to your neighbor, ask him, hell? Hell? No. No, because I want us to have confidence that hell is not our eternal destination. Because there's hope for every single one of us today. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said this. He said, then he will say, talking about his father, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you get that? 
Hell was not originally designed for people. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's called heaven. It's your home forever. No more weeping. No more shame. No more sickness. But I've also prepared a place for Satan and his demons, a place of eternal punishment called hell. It's for him. But what that means is if we act like Satan, if we choose to rebel against God's ways, if we choose to be our own God, then we have to go where Satan goes. And that is hell. I know hell is a difficult topic to talk about. I've been uh, to a lot of funerals. I've probably done far more funerals than I've attended and some of these funerals, they're celebrations of life. You know, when someone has confidence that they're a child of God, I love doing those funerals because we talk about the legacy and the life that they've lived and, and everyone's having a good time. But, but if I'm honest, the majority of the funerals that I've attended or I've uh, participated in, they're somber, they're serious. And over the course of, I don't know, hundreds of funerals, I've noticed two particular things. The first thing is this. I've never seen a hearse after, uh, a U-Haul after the hearse. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can't pack the stuff up with you. In the upcoming weeks, we'll talk about that. Where are we investing our treasure, our life? You can't pack up and take with you all that you've stored up in this life in the life after death. But the other thing that I've noticed is that no one at any funeral I've ever been to has ever said, dearly beloved, we're here today to celebrate the life of our friend, Eric Gamero, who's burning in hell right now. <laughs> Never heard that. No, people typically say they're in a better place. They're peaceful right now. They're resting. But hell is a real place. And although I would never do that, I, I want to build bridges for people to have hope and to, to look to heaven and to, to trust Jesus. We have to talk about hell. In fact, I want you to write this big idea down. And let this, let this frame everything we're talking about today. Refusing to teach a part of the Bible is just as bad as abusing it. Refusing to talk about a scripture or passage or, or parts of the Bible that are offensive is just as bad as abusing God's word. Unfortunately, it is not an uncommon thing for us to hear of people in power, whether pastors or politicians, who manipulate God's word to get it to say what they want to say so they can guilt people and get what they want from them, right? It's abusive. You're, you're taking advantage of people's goodwill and their faith by twisting the scriptures so you can get what you want. But can I tell you, refusing to teach on a passage in the Bible is just as abusive. Why? Because this isn't theology, okay? This is an actual destination. This is an eternal destination that some people will spend their eternity in. Do we love them enough to talk about what is difficult? We love talking about the good news. And at the local church, we're all about the good news. 
You'll never hear us talking bad about another church. We're going to celebrate what we're for and not what we're against. And the good news of Jesus is worth celebrating. 36 lives being transformed forever is worth celebrating. Feeding the hungry, counseling people, caring for kids is worth celebrating. It's good news that Jesus has given to us. But the only reason we can celebrate good news is because we've been saved from bad news. And hell is that bad news. So we got to answer some questions, and we need truth. We don't need images that Hollywood gives us of, of little cute imps with horns and pitchforks and parties in hell. We need to go to God's word, because what God says about eternity is the actual truth that will set us free. So I want to ask and answer four questions today about hell. If you're taking notes, this is the first question. Is hell real? I want to answer, is hell real? And the answer is yes. Next question. Question number two. No, I'm kidding. Listen. Hell is a real place. And it's important when we're talking about hell that we understand that the first century Jewish writers had a lot to say about hell. They actually believed that hell was an actual place for punishment for evildoers and lawbreakers. Do you remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees? We talk about them a lot here at the local church. There are these religious leaders that were Actors that were hypocrites that told people one thing but didn't do what they told them because they wanted power to control and get what they want. There were, there were three major types of, of these religious leaders. They were the scribes, the ones who, who wrote down the word of God and transferred it, and then they gave it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had an ongoing debate, and that debate was about life after death. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees didn't. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. This is why they were sad, you see. Listen, I'm just trying to lighten the mood here. The, the jokes are only going to get worse. This is why they were sad, you see. Ha, 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 No pity. Golly. All right, we'll continue on. Now, the, the reason I bring that up is not to talk about their beliefs, the reason I bring that up is because we see Jesus often combating the, the lies that these religious leaders would instill to the people to put fear into them. And they talked a lot about the afterlife. They talked a lot about hell. And if hell were not a real place, wouldn't Jesus say something different like he did about all the other lies they talked about? But in fact, Jesus believed that hell was a real place of punishment. In fact, Jesus talked a whole lot about hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven, which we're going to talk about next week. Roughly 15% of what Jesus said and half of his parables dealt with punishment, death, and hell. He had a lot to say about hell. And when Jesus talked about hell, no one batted an eye because they believed, as Jesus believed, that hell was an actual place. So at least in the second question, if hell is an actual place, why does hell exist? Why is there hell? Why can't there just be a heaven? There's two primary and fundamental reasons why hell exists. First one is this, write this down. Hell exists because sin and evil exist. Sin and evil exist. And this is why hell exists. All of us, we watch the news. 
I don't need to explain how there's evil in this world. You read history books. We see racism. We see violence and wars being fought. There's evil in this world. But you're like, but, but, but I'm not evil. Well, maybe you're not satanic evil. But every single one of us, we talked about this last week, we're all sinful. It is our nature to think about ourselves far more than we think about other people. You can be nice. That is not wrong. It's just when we, when we fixate on that and we don't repent about uh, not caring for other people, that becomes problematic. And this leads to problems in our life, in our relationships. All of us, we sin in this life, right? We're all imperfect people. Last week, I guarantee there's some of us in this room that we did something that we knew wasn't godly or good. Can we admit that? Some of us in here, maybe last night, you said some things that were mean to someone you love. I love this. I know some of you today on your way to church, you fought in the car, yelling at your kids, yelling at your spouse. Maybe when you got here, you thought some sinful things like, this Asian guy, man, I invited my friend today, and they're talking about hell and fire and brimstone. I hate that guy. This is a perfect place for imperfect people. You're welcome here. If you've messed up, you have a place here. But in heaven, heaven is perfect. And there's no sin and there's no evil in heaven, and this is why hell exists. The second reason, write this down. Hell exists because God is holy and just. God is holy, meaning he is perfect. He cannot and he will not sin. And God is just, meaning God loves justice. The Bible says that one day God will right all the wrongs that have been done. He's going to make amends to everything wrong that has happened. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 and on, it says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment God judges rightly, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction, listen, those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are as afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. One day, God is going to make things right. He's going to come for us. And while he's coming for us with vengeance, he's going to make things right for those who did wrong, for those who wronged us. Verse nine, they will suffer the punishment, ooh, this is heavy, of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might, the essence of who he is, of his power. The Bible is telling us here that one day God is gonna settle the score. If someone did you wrong, God is gonna make it right. And that, that's good news for me. Because what that means for me is Omar Vargas in the fourth grade who beat me up in front of everybody because I wouldn't share my gushers with you. Watch your back, bro. I don't know where you live, but God knows your address and he's coming to make things right. God is gonna make everything wrong right. He's gonna exact vengeance. But here's the problem. I'm guilty too. I've messed up. I've hurt people that I've loved. I've done things that I shouldn't have. I've done things in the secret that I wish people that I loved wouldn't find out, and then they found out, and I hurt them, and I ignored it, and I denied it. 
All of us were guilty of sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or evil. Heaven is perfect. There's no sin in heaven, but we are all sinful. We all fall short of God's standard of perfection. Therefore, we will all be judged according to what we have done. And when someone wrongs us, we want them to be punished. Amen? You can say amen to that. Several weeks ago, I'm driving, and I'm on the turnpike, and I'm, I'm in the fast lane. And there's a car going way faster than me. And so I live in Florida. I know the rules. If someone's speeding in the left lane, you get in the right lane, you let them pass. But there's a problem. There's a semi-truck in the right lane. And so I couldn't slow down, or otherwise the guy would rear-end me because he was tailing me. So I, I did my best to speed up in front of the semi, pulled over in and, and, and that lane. And then I looked over to give the, like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry like you can go now and as I'm doing this they do the same thing but with only one finger I was like this God bless you it's a great thing a few miles up the road guess who's pulled over by a state trooper for speeding yes and I did what any good Christian would do. I pointed and I laughed. That's what you get. That's not what any good Christian would do. That's what this Christian did. When someone wrongs us, we want them to be punished. We want them to pay the penalty. We've wronged God. I mean, we've let people down. We've hurt them. We've done things against them. This is just how we affect other humans. But, but God who's good and God who's created us to be in relationship with him, we've disobeyed his laws. We've gone apart from his good way of living. And because of that, God's just and there's punishment. And punishment is hell. So what is hell like? It's the third question I want to ask. What is hell like? You know, there's a lot of images of heaven uh, and hell in Hollywood and in books, and a lot of it's based off of Dante's Inferno, but, but what is it really like? I, I just want to start off by saying it's really difficult to explain hell. The reason being is because we don't have the experience to compare it with. The words that we say are not enough to describe how terrible hell is. But the good news is God doesn't want us to go there. The good news is God has done everything possible to save us and to set us free from hell. But as we answer this question, I have to let you know, it's hard for me to explain it because we don't have an experience to compare it with. My son, uh, many months ago, my, my daughter, her teeth were coming out and she would take out her teeth and put her underneath the pillow and she would get money from that. And so my five-year-old son's like, I want money. I just have to take out my teeth and I get money. And so he was doing everything, like punching himself. And I'm like, no, son, you don't do that. Your teeth will fall out. He's like, yeah, but I want money. Do you have money because all your teeth fell out? You have teeth right now. I said, son, the last time I had my teeth like come out, I paid someone. 
I actually had to give them money. I had to pull out my, my wisdom teeth. He's like, you had to pull out your wisdom tooth? How, what did it feel like? And so I'm trying to explain, but he doesn't understand. I'm like, it's like a, a vice grip squeezing your brain. Daddy, what's a vice grip? Well, it's a, okay. It's like electricity pulsing behind your, your eye sockets. What does that mean? What does electricity feel like? Well, it feels like, all right, son, I can't really explain what it's like to, to get your wisdom teeth pulled. And then my son, very quick, he texts after his mom. He says, can you not explain it because you don't have wisdom anymore? I'm like, this kid, he's going places. Jesus says a lot of heavy and harsh things about hell because he wants to warn us, because he wants to rescue us, because he wants to set us free from hell. So what is hell like? Is hell like, you know, an ACDC kind of song where it's all you can eat, all you can drink bar and good people partying and heavy metal music playing nonstop? Because that's the image that we get, right? Hell is a fun place. Hell is where all the cool people go. What's hell like? Let, let me let the word of God do the talking. Matthew 25, 41 again. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 8, 12. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 20, 10. And the devil who deceived them, he was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beasts and the false prophets had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, verse 15, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire as well. Romans 2.8, but for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, you don't follow God's ways, you follow your sinful ways, it says there will be wrath and anger. Now, is, is this literal? I don't know. I don't know if hell is actually a burning lake of sulfur and fire. But here's what I do know. If what the writers and what Jesus is explaining is just symbols of what hell will be like, it can be guaranteed that the reality is far more terrible than the symbols. The weeping, have you ever wept? uncontrollably, you can't catch yourself, there's so much sorrow, there's no relief for that. The gnashing of teeth, you ever felt so much excruciating pain that you just grind your teeth and, and there, is, there is no relief from that. Hell is a terrible place. And like I've just mentioned, what makes it far more devastating is its duration. Hell is forever. There is no end. You know, this is an opportunity to make a little joke of like, it's like listening to Nickelback nonstop forever. I mean, that would be bad, right? But hell is far worse. There is no relief. No peace. No God. And that perhaps is the most terrible thing about that it's forever without the presence 
of God. Total separation from God. God in all his wisdom and power who's everywhere all at once, who's with us right now, who's with you when you leave this place, who cares for you and has relationship with you, has made it so that he is not in hell. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. 1 Corinthians 16.22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be separated from God and lost forever. Think of it this way. What is hell like? If hell is complete separation from God, then hell is everything that God is not. God is love. It's his nature. That means eternal separation from God means an eternity without love. Eternity without the hope of, of love. 1 John 4, 8, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The opposite of, of, of love is actually fear. And an eternity without the presence of God is you being afraid all of the time. It means you're scared to death forever with no relief. It means you're lonely always. That's hell. See, one of the misconceptions about hell is it's going to be a party. I mean, all the cool people are going to be there. You're going to see everyone that you sin with on earth. And why, why would I want to go to a place where I'm in the clouds and I got wings and there's street? I don't care about that. Turn up the heat. Pass me the drink. But that's not what hell is. It's not simply eternal separation from God. It's eternal separation from anything, from anyone. There are no friends in hell. There are no family. There's no relationships. It, it's... It's solitary confinement forever. That's hell. There's another myth, by the way, that Satan is, is ruling over hell. And that Satan is the one sitting on a throne and, and he's punishing the people. No, that's not true. That's not what the Bible tells us. That's what Satan wants us to believe. But the reality is, the Bible says that Satan is actually on earth. He was thrown down from heaven to the earth like lightning. If we could see him, we would see that he's defeated, that he is bruised, that he is beaten, that Jesus has crushed his skull on the cross. And one day, he'll go to hell. And while he's there, he won't be ruling. He won't be sitting on a throne. He'll be thrown into hell, and he'll be punished forever. But he wants us to believe these lies. He wants us to believe that hell is fun. Hell is cool. It's not that bad. Listen, hell is not fun. There are no friends in hell. Hell is terrible. God is light, so there is no light in hell. It's complete darkness. God is love, so there is no love in hell. It's being alone forever. God is good, there's nothing good in hell. God is gracious, there will be no grace in hell. There's no second chances in hell. So the fourth and final question is how do I avoid being sent to hell? 
How do we avoid being sent to hell? Here's how. This works with speeding tickets. This works with hell as well. To get out of jail, free card. We have one of these for every one of you on your way out today. If you've lived your life in sin and did not surrender to Jesus, when you're standing before God, say, here you go, God, and you'll get out of hell for free. We're done. All right, enjoy. Is that how it works? Is, is our eternal destination based on our behavior? Absolutely not. We talked about this last week. Listen to this. Matthew 7, On that day, on that day of judgment, standing before our maker who loves us, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not speak God's word in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did, did we not oppose the, the kingdom of Satan because of you? Do we not do many mighty works in your name? Did I not go to church every Sunday, lead a group, give generously? This is scary. Verse 23, and then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, the context here is these people thought that by doing good, they could be good with God. I'm just going to do more good. I'm just going to do enough to cover the bad that I did do, and that will make me good with God. And, and that doesn't make us good with God. There's not enough good that we can do. We talked about this last week. None of us are perfect. All the good that we can do is good enough to get us to hell, but not heaven, because we're not perfect. But didn't I do all of this stuff for you? But you missed a point. It was all about the doing and not about the being and not about the believing. And, and this is what so many of us want. We just want a, a get out of hell free card. We want to pass to do what we want and still get to heaven. How much good do I have to do without crossing the line? We want to pass and that's religion. And religion doesn't save but a relationship with Jesus is what he offers. And so I want you to write this down. Going to heaven or hell isn't based on your behavior. It's based on belief. It's not about how good or bad you've been. We'll talk about in a few weeks. So should we just throw all good works out the door? Of course not. God has set us free. Now we can do good works. Now, now we can point other people to him with the light that we shine and the good that we do. But going to heaven or hell isn't based on your behavior. It's based on your belief. We're all sinful. We're all imperfect. There's not enough good that we can do because none of us are perfect. So it's what we believe. It's what we trust in. And so actually, that last question is terrible, okay? Erase that from your notes. What must I do to avoid hell? What must I do to avoid God sending me to hell? That's not a good question. And by the way, God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. My wife and I, one of our favorite dates is to go to a movie. 
And uh, we're not the couple that sits in the movie and not talks to one another. Like, we make a whole ordeal about it. It's worth the babysitter cost for us to go to a movie. So we get all the food. We sit down. We snack. We, we talk. We whisper. We're not loud because we don't want to be those people in the movie theater. And I just remember several years ago, uh, we were going on one of our movie date nights. And we went to a theater where you could get jalapenos and scoop them in yourselves. Remember that? When you could serve yourself and people didn't hand everything to you in a tin. Maybe there's good reason for that because we went there and... Um, that's my favorite snack, not chosen jalapenos. And I told my wife, like, babe, I, I can't wait to watch this movie, and I'm going to tear up these jalapenos. She's like, babe, no, don't do it, love. You're going to get sick. It's not good for you. I'm like, oh, I can handle it. I'm Asian. Besides, I already pre-gamed, okay? I, I drank a bunch of Pepto-Bismol. I'm ready for the jalapeno actions. If it's just not chosen cheese, I don't want that. I need the jalapenos. She's like, love, don't do that. Please don't. So, babe, come on, I'm okay, I can handle this. So we get up to the register, she orders her Coke, she orders her popcorn, or her peanut M&Ms, and I order my, my Coke Zero, because I'm about to consume a whole bunch of calories other ways, I don't want to drink my calories. And I get my nachos, and I say, do you have jalapenos? He says, absolutely, you can fill up over there. My wife, once again, she pleads with me, please don't do that. Listen, you're going to smell terrible, your breath is bad, you're not going to be able to kiss me if you eat that stuff. I'm like, babe, don't, let, let me live my life. This is our date night, okay? Let me do what I want to do. So I get it. I scoop all the jalapenos. I'm not even exaggerating, okay? Like every chip had its own jalapeno. I scarfed them down. I enjoyed it. My fingers smelled like vinegar. My wife wouldn't kiss me afterwards. But I was okay until six hours later. I'm in the fetal position because i just thrown up everything that I've eaten into the toilet. And I'm in pain for a good 12 hours. But get this. It wasn't the jalapenos. It wasn't the spice of the jalapenos. It was food poisoning. See, there's a lesson in there. It's always the hidden part of sin that gets us. Because we think, oh, you know what? I've done this before. It's no big deal. Okay, it's only, it's only jalapenos. It's not really against the law. What's the worst that could happen? And we do what we want to do and we go our way and it's always the hidden consequences of sin that get us. Now, did my wife love me? Yes, the answer is yes. In fact, she still loves me. My wife loves me. Did my wife warn me? Yes, she did. Don't do it. It's dumb. Please don't be foolish. Did she invite me to intimacy? I will kiss you if you do not eat these jalapenos. No, woman, I'm going to do what I want to do. Did she give me food poisoning? No. I, <laughs> you never know. No, I, <laughs> just kidding, Jessica, you would never. Would she? The reality is I chose hell on my own. God has done everything to save us from hell. Everything that was necessary, he did through Jesus so that we could be set free from hell. He doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves there. We choose to go there. If we don't want to be where God is, he's not going to force us. He invites us. He opens the door. He warns us about the problem of sin. But if we don't want to be with him, he's not going to force us. So God doesn't send us to hell. That is not the question. How do I avoid being sent to hell? The better question is, how do I have a relationship with God? 
How do I live my life to follow Jesus? How can, I, how can I be certain that I'm his child forever? Can we be certain? Absolutely. I want you to have the confidence that you are a child of God forever today. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God says, I don't want you guessing. I don't want you to simply have hope. I want you to have confidence. You can know. Those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, not simply go to church, not simply sign up to serve, but you actually have placed your faith in the name of the Son of God, you can have confidence. How? Final passage I want us to read today. Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Here's how we can have confidence. Not simply that we would avoid hell, Heaven is not for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is for people who, who have hope in Jesus, who have surrendered their life to Jesus. Here's how we can know for sure. Romans 10, 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The righteousness based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. He's talking about those who want to be made right by following all the rules. And then he quotes, he quotes the book of Leviticus, but he doesn't quote it in its entirety because the people understand the point he's trying to make. He says there's people who try to obey the rules and they think that's good enough. But he says, but the righteousness based off of faith, being made right with God based off of your belief and your trust in who he is, it says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. He says, do not say in your heart. Do you remember the Levitical law, my people? You remember how God said that? In essence, he's saying, those who, who, who are made right with God by their faith are saying, we're not looking for somebody else. We're not looking for something else to come. He has come already. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9. Listen to this. Because if you, say confess. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, say believe. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe and you confess, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. When God looks at us, that word means justified never sins. I've been made holy. I've been made perfect in his sight. With the heart one believes and is made right with God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How can we have confidence that we are children of God forever, that our home is in heaven and he's preparing a place for you right now, as imperfect as you may be. It's believing and it's confessing. It's not saying I believe in God. Almost everyone believes in God. It's saying my belief has an action. I'm gonna confess with my mouth and confess with my life that I believe that Jesus is the son of God that he lived and died and rose for me, that he set me free, that he saved me from all of my sin. If we believe that in our heart and we confess that with our mouths, we can be saved. I want to invite you all to stand to your feet right now. 
Again, last week, 36 people surrendered their life to Jesus. 36 eternities forever transformed. 36 people in a relationship with God forever. You 36 in this room today, I pray that you continue to have confidence that no matter the mistakes you made this past week, you are still loved by God. And nothing you ever do on this earth will ever separate you from his eternal love for you. You have trusted in his good works, not your own, and he's set you free forever. It's not fair, but it's his favor for those of us who have faith. And today, God wants to give us another opportunity to believe and to confess. And so here's what I'm asking everyone in this room to do. Whether you have a relationship with Jesus, you've been walking with him, or whether today is, 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 is the first time that you've ever confessed your need of a savior to free you of your sin, I want all of us to say this out loud, to confess this out loud with confidence in support of those who are making this decision today. Can we do that, Church Familia? Will we confess this out loud? Say, Jesus, I am a sinner, but you're my Savior. I believe that you lived and died for me. I believe that you rose again for me and have given me eternal life. I believe that my sins are forgiven. I believe that I'm filled with your spirit. I believe that I'm your child. From now until forever. And I believe that nothing will ever be able to take that away. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for forgiveness. I am set free. I am your child. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all those who love him said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.